0: In the '90s, New York detective Louis Scarcella locked up the worst criminals. Putting bad guys away, there's no feeling like it. Then jailhouse lawyers took aim, led by Derek Hamilton. Scarcella took me to the precinct and lied. Twenty men eventually walked free. Now, in the Burden podcast, after a decade of silence, Louis Scarcella finally tells his story, and so does Derek Hamilton. Listen to The Burden on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Our world is full of the unexplainable. And if history is an open book, all of these amazing tales are right there on display, just waiting for us to explore. Welcome to the Cabinet of Curiosities. There are things that go bump in the night. When the sun has set and the shadows come out to dance, they tend to play tricks on our eyes, making us see things that aren't really there, and sometimes those shadows step into the light, showing us exactly what they are. Whether we're able to accept them, well, that's a different story. Lee Parrish left his girlfriend's house in the wee hours of a frigid January morning in 1977. The trip back to his house in Prospect, Kentucky should have taken less than 10 minutes. As he drove along the pitch-black highway, a cigarette perched between his lips, something near the tree line caught his attention. It was long, roughly 10 feet by 40 feet, in a shape of a triangle. It burned a reddish-orange, and it was moving. Soon, it was right above him, and a moment later, his car radio cut out. Lee couldn't move, and neither could his car, and then the shape was gone, It flew off like a rocket until it disappeared into the distance, leaving the young man confused and scared. He eventually arrived home, his mother waiting by the door for him. It's so late, she said. Where have you been all this time? He told her he had just left his girlfriend's house 10 minutes before, around 1 a.m., and she said that that was impossible because it was almost 2 o'clock in the morning. Puzzled by the loss of time, Lee went to bed But found it hard to sleep. His eyes burned whenever he shut them, and a quick look in the mirror explained why. They were completely bloodshot. The next morning, he couldn't remember a thing that had happened. His mother, instead of calling a doctor, contacted a different kind of expert to help her son recall what had transpired the previous night. She reached out to a hypnotist by the name of Lawrence Allison. His area of expertise was in helping people regain hard-to-access memories— specifically in people who had contact with UFOs. The hypnotist, along with a pair of local UFO investigators, invited Lee and his girlfriend over to his home that evening for a session. He put the young man into a trance and asked him to walk through the previous night's events like he was telling a story. Lee told him about the glowing rectangle, which turned to black, then white, before everything went dark. Suddenly, he was in a round white room surrounded by three oddly shaped beings. To his left, he saw a tall, wall-shaped black creature with a small round head and an arm-like pole sticking out of it. When the creature touched him, Lee said it felt like burning ice. On his right was a smaller creature, boxy in shape and colored red. It had a kind of nondescript arm jutting in front of it, like the black one. When this creature touched him, it sent a sharp needle-like sensation all throughout Lee's body. And then there was the last bean, the white one, as Lee called it, about as tall as him and shaped like a mailbox. It had two arms that it kept against itself, and it glowed with a bright light, and Lee said that he understood this creature to be the one in charge. It didn't touch him, though. It only watched. It made a kind of scraping sound before the three beans merged into one and disappeared, Lee woke up in his car as though no time had passed at all. The rectangle above him sped away before he resumed his drive home. When he woke up from his trance, Lee remembered everything. The UFO investigators asked him questions about what had happened in the car during the incident and whether he'd ever encountered such beings before. The car had floated in midair, he told them. He didn't actually get in and out of it, but was phased through it to get into the ship. And while he personally had not had any close encounters in his life, his mother had experienced at least three, although Lee himself had witnessed UFOs from a distance on several occasions. The story of an alien abduction by a sole witness isn't much of a story. People come out of the woodwork all the time to make wild claims for attention and money. But Lee Parrish's tale is a bit different for two reasons. First, Another UFO investigator who lived a few miles away had reported his neighbor's children screaming wildly at something in the sky. It was a round white object with a dome on top, which hovered briefly before zipping away. And second, the day after Lee's incident, his car malfunctioned. When the mechanic took a look inside, he noted it would need significant electrical work to get moving again. The cause of the damage, though, was completely unknown. Curious. What didn't you say? In the 1980s and 90s, New York City needed a tough cop like Detective Louis Scarcella. Putting bad guys away, there's no feeling like it in the world. He was the guy who made sure the worst killers were brought to justice. That's one version. This guy is a piece of shit. Derek Hamilton was put away for murder by Detective Scarsella. In prison, Derek turned himself into the best jailhouse lawyer of his generation. And the lawyer was my girlfriend. This is my only way to freedom. Derek and other convicted murderers started a law firm behind bars. We never knew we had the same cop in the case. Scarsella. We gotta show that he's a corrupt cop. They can go f themselves. I'm Steve Fishman. And I'm Dax Devlin-Ross. And this is The Burden. Listen to new episodes of The Burden on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And to hear episodes one week early and ad-free with exclusive bonus content, subscribe to True Crime Clubhouse on Apple Podcasts. Millions of thoughts run through our minds each day. What to eat, what to wear, whether we're going to make it to that meeting on time or if we said the wrong thing on that date last week. It's enough to keep us awake at night, wondering how we can pause the images in our brains. But one man didn't want to silence them. He wanted to use them to show the world what was going on inside his mind. His name was Ted Serios, and he'd been a Chicago bellhop during the 1960s before finding fame as a photographer. Ted wasn't just any kind of photographer, though. He claimed to be able to project an image from his brain onto a roll of film using telepathy. He would hold something he called a gizmo to his head, a small paper tube of some kind, and the other end would be pressed against the lens. Then, Ted would concentrate. His body would tense up, his eyes wide open and his mouth a straight line, his limbs would tremble, and the veins on his forehead would throb. Then, he would release the camera. When the film was developed, much of the time what came out was an image that was either completely white or completely black. There was no visible object detectable anywhere in the photo. But every now and then, a blurry image of a landscape or a structure would appear. And it happened often enough to catch the attention of Dr. Jewell Eisenbud, who put Ted through a battery of tests over the course of three years, hoping to gain some insight... Into how the former bellhop was able to conjure up the images. For one, Ted was drunk when he took his photographs like, really drunk. Eisenbud thought maybe he was even an alcoholic, given his lack of self control and disregard for social standards. Still, the doctor was impressed by the results. During one experiment, several people had gathered in another doctor's home to watch him perform. Serios asked for a suggestion a place or a thing for him to imprint on the film. The daughter of the host was going to be leaving soon to study at the University of Rome, so she asked him to produce a picture of one of the school's buildings. She carried with her a folder of photos from the university for reference, which she held far from Ted's view. He went through his process of concentrating and yelling until he'd sufficiently transferred his thoughts to the film in the camera. When it was developed, a photo of a vague structure appeared, which looked a lot like the picture of the Roman church in the girl's folder. Sadly, what Ted had produced didn't convince everyone in the room. The good doctor was the only one who believed in his abilities. And as word got out about the man who could project his thoughts on the photographs, professionals of all kinds wanted a closer look. A man named Niall Root decided to see exactly what all the excitement was about. He and six others spent an evening with Serios, watching him perform his miraculous feat, paying close attention to the gizmo that he claimed he needed to focus his mental energy. Everyone in attendance was told to bring five rolls of Polaroid film with them. As the night wore on, Serios got increasingly drunk, shoving the paper tube against his head and demanding whoever was holding the camera to take a photograph. It was during one of those particularly drunk moments when Root caught a glimpse of what might be behind the images supposedly coming straight from Ted's mind. The photographer was in such a state that he flailed his arms around as he shouted at the guests. As he swung his hands, Root saw it, something shiny inside the small tube in Ted's hand. It could have been a piece of microfilm, which, when photographed by the camera's lens, would have produced the ghostly, blurry images that had captivated Dr. Eisenbud. In fact, magician and skeptic James Randi, also known as the Amazing Randi, proved such a theory on national television. He held an inch-long tube with a magnifying glass on one end to his head, and on the other end was a slide of 35mm film. Randi placed the tube to his head and lined the end up with the camera lens. The photographer took the picture, and what came out was a distorted but clearly visible version of the image on the slide. Serios swore he never used tricks or sleight of hand to create his own photographs, but it didn't matter. Once the explanation came out, the eccentric bellhop faded from the public eye for decades, until he resurfaced on television in the 1980s. Asked one last time to prove his powers were real, Ted couldn't produce a single image on film. Maybe his powers had worn themselves out. Or perhaps, if you're of the believing kind, the explanation is a lot more simple. Ted's unusual ability just wasn't fully developed. I hope you've enjoyed today's guided tour of the Cabinet of Curiosities. Subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts or learn more about the show by visiting curiositiespodcast.com. The show was created by me, Aaron Mankey, in partnership with How Stuff Works.